We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome inside the Guilty as Charged podcast. My name is Steven. I am your host, as always. And joining me today are my guys, Tyler and Alex. Alex, we'll start with you, man. How are you doing? Uh, and uh, explain a little bit your uh, unique username for the day. My unique username is uh, I am a freak who loves pain, and I've been checking my phone all day uh, for James Harden. But uh, no, I, I've been been doing good today uh you know i i hope there are fewer birds on this production compared to the last episode we've heard your complaints we've made some technical changes so hopefully it works <laughs> yeah for, for the record it does sound much better right now so uh happy to uh to have you back and, and happy to hopefully get the uh sixers drama ended because i think the east really does need uh that trade to happen so anyways this is a football podcast and uh tyler is here as well uh, you also have a unique username for the day. Tyler, how are you doing? Yes, my username is are there any better options out there? And we'll talk about that in a bit. As far as the NBA stuff goes, yes, I know it's a football podcast, but Braden Fahoko tweeted out that he's got some source that says something big's on the way today. Um, Fahoko also lies all the time on Twitter, so I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if it's legit or not, but uh, we'll see. Uh, I think Fajoko's big news was the Jazz trade that uh, was going to send uh, Joe Ingles to the Trailblazers, and he's injured, so he's not even really going to the Trailblazers. Um, nice. um, but yeah, so uh, Lakers are quite a mess, and I know he's been all over that, but um, it's just his uh, crazy situation. So uh, like Tyler mentioned, we are going to talk about the Chargers' decision to add Tom Arth to the pod or to the podcast. I wish Tom <laughs> Arth were coming on the podcast. He, he can come fun. on if he wants. <laughs> Uh, Tom Arth has officially been hired as a passing game specialist, which we'll get into. Uh, we're going to examine some trade candidates. Uh, if you missed the video, I did do a, a 20 minute or so video talking about that, but I wanted to get Tyler and Alex's thoughts there as well as adding some potential other names there. Uh, and then ESPN did a fun exercise, uh, redrafting the 2021, uh, NFL draft. And I want to have a conversation here because, uh, frankly, it's the off season and that's the time to do it. So, uh, as I mentioned, first and foremost, we are going to talk about the Chargers' decision to hire Mr. Tom Arth. Just really quickly running through 
what the background is here. Tom Arth and Brandon Staley, of course, uh, worked together at John Carroll, where Arth was actually the head coach and Brandon Staley was the defensive coordinator. Most recently, Mr. Arth was uh, the head coach at Akron. It unfortunately did not go super well. Uh, they did not win very many games at the University of Akron, but that kind of seems to be the history there. And then he's also been the head coach at Chattanooga for uh, two seasons between 2017 and 2018. So um, that's kind of his general background as a coach. He uh, does have a playing career of note. Uh, most most notably, I should say, was the backup uh, to Peyton Manning back in uh, the early Indianapolis Peyton Manning days. So that's kind of the rundown for Tom Arth. He, uh, if you've been listening to this show for a while, you would have kind of expected this. I, I would hope because Tom Arth was in the running for quarterbacks coach last year, which we did talk about before they decided to uh, hire Shane Day and before Arth decided to stay at Akron. So. Uh, him and Brandon Staley are good friends. The Staley wanted to hire him last year. Unfortunately, did not get to uh, make that happen. And this time around, he does make that happen as a passing game specialist. So, uh, Tyler, we'll start with you. Your initial thoughts as uh, the Chargers add another uh, treat or another stem to the coaching tree, coaching tree of Brandon Staley. All the stems. Uh, my first <laughs> reaction was concern because of the 3-27 okay. and 27 record where they were yeah. getting blown out of games. And it's not like their offense was all that prolific. And I was worried that this was, as some people have mentioned in the chat already, that this is Staley just bringing in another friend from the past, which so far with personnel decisions, with player decisions, it hasn't really worked out. Although I think some of the coaching staff connections, that's worked out for him. So I do have some hope there. To me, I don't, I don't know what his role actually is. Does he just bring the coffee? Does he, like, what? what is this role actually what's the difference between a specialist and a coordinator i guess i don't know what his role is but it, hopefully still has some sort of role for him i will say on the positive side if you roll through his quarterback stats um zach gibson his numbers did improve over the years that he was there you know a guy that never went from never completing more than 58 percent of his passes to almost 70 percent of his passes this past year in this past year, I think Gibson ended up getting hurt or had to switch out with another quarterback. But he had 10 touchdowns, no interceptions. Whoopee. Um, but that, that was better than what it was before. So I'll say that. And I did because I'm a dork. I watched a couple of games. And they do <laughs> run what the Chargers, you know, they kind, kind of do run and could run. So, I mean, shocker, college, they run RPOs. Yeah. But, you know, RPOs, bootlegs, quarterback keepers, that sort of thing. Uh, they did run a lot more spread and some empty than I would have expected from a small program going against some of these bigger programs. I kind of like, I, I just watched Oregon, for example, this past season and they ran it 50 times. It felt like, and this actually felt like a pro sort of style offense that the Chargers yeah. could run. So there's, there's something there to me. It all ends up being, this is really just a preemptive move because Herbert is going to get Joe Lombardi a job one day, probably next season. Uh, to me, I think this is just future quarterbacks coach, Tom Arth, in my opinion, when Shane Day inevitably leaves somewhere to be, you know, a quarterback, or excuse me, an offensive coordinator, or is even promoted with from within to be the offensive coordinator. But wherever he goes, he'll probably end up being an offensive coordinator at some point, just because Justin Herbert's gonna get dudes hired. And yeah. Tom Arth is kind of that preemptive move to go from, you know, okay, I'm gonna have a guy in the wings ready to go to eventually be his quarterback's coach. That's what I think they're going to do. So again, the record and how bad he was as a head coach, it's really, really awful. 
Yes, I'm concerned that this guy basically just failed upwards because he has a friend, you know, that's a head coach in the NFL. But I do see also their rationale for trying to bring him in and work him into an eventual quarterback's coach role. Yeah, I, I pretty much felt the same way. Uh, this feels like, I mean, Joe Lombardi even kind of got some head coaching buzz this time. Uh, I know Houston at some point like wanted to talk to him. So if Justin Herbert has another bonkers year and, you know, you kind of go through that process again, um, you know, then Chargers could be a playoff team next year and Joe Lombardi starts getting a lot more looks. So uh, that could be uh, an option where they want to promote him to offensive coordinator, where they want to promote Shane Day to offensive coordinator and then him to quarterbacks coach, like Tyler said. Um, but yeah, no, aside from that, I, I didn't have too many other thoughts on it just because it seems like passing game specialist or passing game coordinator is kind of different depending on like what the team is. Right. Um, as we saw with like the 49ers, Mike McDaniel was the run game coordinator. Then he sort of like became OC and like kind of made his rise up through there. Um, so, you know, that seemed to be like a pretty big role, but you know, it's hard to say like, and all these different coaching staffs have different titles that they'll put on these coaches. Some people say passing game coordinator. Some people say passing game specialists, um, you know, and who knows who's really running kind of what in terms of these like intermediary roles that aren't offensive and defensive play caller. So there's that's kind of my reaction to that. But I mean, it can't hurt to get another guy in the system who, you know, is willing to take over. Once the time comes. So that's ultimately what I thought of Tom Arth. Um, and of course, there is this daily connection from, uh, you know, prior times. Um, I do think it'll work out a little bit better than Eric Banks, for example, in terms of talking <laughs> about people from Staley's past. Um, yeah. But can't really hurt to get him in the system. Yeah, I think this is I mean, any coaching hire is definitely worth talking about. But I, I think he essentially is going to be like an assistant quarterbacks coach to Shane Day. Um, you know, and I think that's a role that it is, you know, completely fine. I don't know fully what kind of role he was going to have if he had been hired last year, um, you know, because Shane Day is a quarterbacks coach and the passing game coordinator. So he does both. Um, so maybe this is kind of hinting at giving Shane Day a little bit more uh, control, a bigger role, if you will, and kind of preparing him for the inevitable that Tyler is talking about that Joe Lombardi does eventually leave. So, um, you know, I, I think this is a, a preemptive move. I think it's fine. I'm a little concerned about Staley's kind of pattern emerging. That's he's just hiring his friends. Granted, he just hired Ryan Ficken, who he has right. no connection to. Um, but I, I think at some point as these assistant coaches you know, kind of branch out into other roles, that's when we'll kind of figure out, you know, really what patterns er emerge from, you know, Brandon Staley's hiring process, because, you know, he did come from Sean McVay, like that was his most recent job. And, you know, Sean McVay hiring Brandon Staley was very out of the box. It was very unorthodox. So um, that's definitely something that can happen down the road, whether they decide to uh, hire, an offensive coordinator outside of the box or just kind of promote Shane day uh, or if Shane day goes with Joe Lombardi to a future head coaching job, I think Arth, you know, playing the position in the NFL, even as a backup is a valuable resource to Justin Herbert in the sense that he's essentially going to be a position coach. So um, definitely a little worried about the slight pattern that's emerging of hiring mm -hmm. friends who I have connections to, who I know, who I trust, uh, and Tyler mentioned the the poor record at 
uh, Akron, although he was pretty successful at at John Carroll. But mm-hmm. um, I, I think, like I said, I think he's a, a glorified position coach, and he did play the position in the NFL and I think NFL Europe or the UFL or something like that. Um, so you know, Shane Day did not have that experience, right? And he's been a variety of different roles in the NFL. You know, he's only been a quarterbacks coach for like three or four years. So I think this is more about getting another set of eyes for Justin Herbert to work with. I can't mm-hmm. imagine they have Chase Daniel back next year. So, uh, you know, that's kind of where they're at, I think. Yeah, and building right off of that, I think there's a legitimate chance that the Chargers do explore a backup quarterback option in the draft. Maybe at some point this year, they brought in that kid. I can't remember his name uh, last year from Texas Tech. No, who was it? Oh, Mississippi um, State. Costello. Mississippi State. KJ yeah, Costello. yeah, KJ Costello. I think they could do that this year. They have, you know, 42 seventh round picks. And I think one of those <laughs> could go to a backup quarterback. Because right now, you know, whether Chase Daniel is back or not, I don't know. Easton Stick, you know, they clearly currently don't view him as any kind of quarterback, too. And there was no real competition last year. So they could bring in a quarterback and or, you know, at some point. And I think having him being like a you know, a quarterback's coach light, maybe for that quarterback while Shane Day can focus on Justin Herbert sure. and getting the offense going forward. I think that'd be a pretty decent, you know, pretty decent way to go. I'm also just a little concerned because Duke Manyweather came out and was like, yeah, Akron sucked while he was there and things were trending in the right <laughs> direction. And then he got hired and they got worse. So it's like, great. Thanks, Duke, for all that. But, you know, when did we'll Duke see. say that? Right before the show. He's not like, not explicitly, but he said, Oh, that, that's go. an interesting hire because, you know, they were terrible. And then there was another post that he posted that was like, um, yeah, well, they were on the way up with this coach, but uh, not currently uh, all that great. So. Okay, so he said, interesting hire. Akron was awful while Art was there. <laughs> and then somebody asked him about it. Mm-hmm. And somebody said, don't have a dog in the fight, but Akron is a tough job. And he said they were trending in the right direction with Bowden. So I don't know who Bowden was, but I'm, you know, previous head coach, I imagine. But yeah. So basically he's saying they were bad and they were better before him and they got worse with Arth. So that's <laughs> your passing game specialist, everyone. Yeah, I mean, I'm not too worried about it either way, though, I guess. Like, I mean, I, I don't think he's going to mess up Justin Herbert like he did Akron. <laughs> if yeah. that's the case, you know, um, I, I feel like it's kind of a purely ceremonial role like i'm sure he'll help out in some facets of the offense here and there but not the play caller and yeah i mean how many successful coaches has akron produced <laughs> like i feel like you know that's kind of a dead-end job at some point anyway so eh, we'll see what he does but i'm not i'm not necessarily concerned because of the bad record at akron now if he was offensive coordinator i'd be pretty concerned but uh in this setup i don't think it's too bad yeah, and uh, now thanks to Tyler, I'm gonna have to go and watch some college quarterbacks. So I, I was not playing. It, on no, that. it's well. It's <laughs> look if you want the positive. Like the first game I turned on was the Ohio State game this year, and they rolled down the field and scored instantly. I'm like, dang, there's actually a, that's there's something here. It was the only points they scored for like the entire <laughs> rest of the game. So was the final was like, score what like forty nine seven or something? Something to ten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, I will not be watching Akron film, uh, you know, at least for, you know, maybe in the summer I'll, when I have some more time, I'll, I'll dive into some Tom Arth. I'm sure there's a coaching clinic or something of Tom Arth out there. But, um, you know, like I said, I think that 
you know, this is a, it's whatever right now. We'll, we'll have to wait and see for this one to have like final verdict. But um, as long as he's a good position coach, you know, it is what it is. Um, all right. I want to move on here and I want to talk about some uh, external trade candidates. Of course, I did a video on this uh, topic, like I mentioned. Um, wanted to get uh, Tyler and Alex's thoughts here because there there was also another name that I would have added uh, if I had known about it being a possibility. So uh, if you missed the video, my three main trade candidates that I have, just running through them really quickly. Uh, Khalil Mack was the first one, of course, uh, directly tied to Brandon Staley and Jay Rogers. The, the Bears would save uh, $17.75 million by trading him post June 1st. So that's the key with Khalil Mack. Trading him before June 1st does not save the Bears hardly any money. So that would potentially be, you know, more draft picks pre June 1st, future draft picks, obviously post June 1st. Uh, the second one I listed in my video was Xavier Howard. Uh, Howard has obviously been in rumors, you know, all throughout his tenure in Miami, it feels like. Uh, and they're currently going through their own rebuild again and need to do a better job supporting uh, Tua on offense and Mike McDaniel on offense. So, you know, timeline-wise and roster-wise, I, I could see that making sense. He has a $16 million cap number this year. The Dolphins would save $9 million cut, trading him pre-June 1st. So that's a little of difference there. And Ronaldo Hill was actually on that staff in 2018. And Shane Day, who we mentioned earlier, was also on that staff. So the Chargers do have ties to Xavier Howard. Uh, so I think that could be a possibility. And then my dark horse was Grady Jarrett. Uh, Jarrett has a $23.83 million cap number. The Falcons would save nearly $17 million by trading him. Uh, however, the reporter of The Athletic that covers the Falcons did say that they are trying to extend him. So Alex, I'll get your thoughts here. Uh, do you have a preference of who you would like to see the Chargers make of those three and just kind of your general thoughts of of trading for a you know star player like one of those three players? Yeah, I, I sort of think if you're talking about trading for a star player, I don't know if the Chargers will go in that direction in general. I mean, I, I would love to see a Khalil Mack or an Xavier Howard join this team. I'm out of those three. I kind of prefer Xavier Howard the most because, I mean, they, they need help at the quarterback room sure. uh, a little bit. You know, we, we sort of have talked about Michael Davis as CB1 and what's the future of that and, and the uncertainty of what they're going to do in the first round and what cornerbacks will be on the board. Um, so that kind of makes the most sense to me. Although I do feel like, particularly with Mac and uh, Xavier Howard, you're kind of talking about like large salaries to move. And I don't know if Telesco would be willing to like absorb a big salary like that. I do have my own trade candidate, um, you know, as a resident Eagles fan of the pod that I think makes a lot of sense for the Chargers. And I'm going to go in the direction of Andre Dillard. Uh, who is the Eagles' uh, offensive tackle, who is not getting many snaps right now, pretty much played you know, 14 snaps uh, all year, did not play that many. Uh, he has been is on a rookie deal that is expiring. You know, and We've talked a lot about the Chargers' right tackle situation, what they want to do with Storm Norton, Brian Balaga obviously leaving the team. So to me, if you're looking for an obvious Chargers trade candidate on paper, 
from an external standpoint, I feel like that one kind of makes a lot of sense because we've sort of also talked about the first round offensive tackles kind of being like not great um, last time in, in sure. the vein of like Slater and Sewell and Darisol and these prospects last year. So if you do want to go get a guy, uh, you know, like an Andre Dillard, who is not a proven commodity, but has been in an NFL system and, you know, you can kind of see what you have with him has played some significant snaps before in his career. Uh, you probably trade a mid round pick for him at this point, maybe a fourth, fifth round pick, uh, you know, so you kind of are drafting that. Um, and the chargers have a bunch of, you know, sixth, seventh round picks if they want to make use of that in later rounds. So um, I don't know if they're going to go after a big name like Howard uh, or, or Mac. I'd love to see it frankly, because they're both great players. Uh, but I could see Tom Telesco going for a move like Andre Dillard with the uncertainty and the, and the problems they've had at right tackle. Yeah, no, I like that for sure. Uh, of the three that Steven mentioned, I, I think Jared's actually my preference there. Just get defensive tackle out of the way, get your interior defensive line group out of the way, and then you can focus on whatever you need to in the draft. Maybe not have to focus on going for some of these interior guys. You don't have to take a Jordan Davis at 17. Um, if you just do a Google search, we just found out Devontae Wyatt has a bit of a troubled-ish past history at Georgia, which will basically take him off the board for the Chargers. So you're starting to run out of some guys here if you want yeah. to find some guys in the second round. I think just getting that out of the way real quick, find a nose tackle type in you know later in the draft to pair with a guy maybe you sign in for agency. I think that works. Uh, to me, I went with a couple of smaller guys. Uh, one guy's making $8.5 million, or excuse me, $8.25 million this year. Pardon me if I get his name wrong. It's Samson Ebukam. Mm. Um, previously with the Rams from 2017 to 2020 with Brandon Staley. He had 19 pressures, five sacks, and 17 run stops for that defense. He's your outside linebacker type. He's currently with the 49ers. They are $4.5 million over the cap. He costs $8.25 million. So you could kind of work something out there like a Kyler Fackrell type. Again, you could just resign Kyler Fackrell, but I think finding somebody better who's a little bit more productive works for me. And then I'm going to pitch a different guy that I just had to figure out how to say his name. I knew about him. I just never really paid attention. That's Tano Capasano, the Saints Eds rusher, who's formerly of the Chiefs, 6'7, 289 pounds. He's a guy that's going to get you 25 pressures, three to four sacks, 15 to 25 run stops in his role. Um, and he's a potential cut candidate. Obviously, the Saints are in cap hell right now and they have to make everything work. He's 28 years old. He only has a $3.25 million cap hit, so they yeah. could just keep him because he's not that expensive. But I think it's a guy to look at because the best way I can pitch him to the Chargers is like signing or, or trading for, that is, a guy, a, a DeMarvin Leal, who's already been in the NFL without being, you know, super his highest ceiling potential, but a guy who's pretty solid, a guy who, you know, lines up as, at defensive tackle, lines up in the A-gap, lines up at edge, hand in the dirt, standing up pass rusher. You know, 75% of the time, he is that edge rusher, hand in the dirt, or standing up. But the other 25% of the time, who's moving around, you know, the line of scrimmage, whatever you need him to do. So it's kind of different than what the, the Chargers have been doing, where it's, you know, we have two edge rushers and then we'll put Bosa in and then there'll just be another edge rusher. It'll be Kyler Fackrell. It'll be a little bit different, but I think, you know, you can kind of plug and play him wherever you need him as that secondary pass rusher. Maybe it's, that's a defensive tackle. Maybe it's standing over the center. Maybe it's rushing, you know, standing up from the outside, whatever you need him to do. I think that could work. He only costs $3.25 million this year. So it won't be that expensive. The Saints need to shed some cap. So I think they can make it work. So those are two names at edge rusher I keep my uh, my eyes on. The only other one I would mention, I'll just say it real quick, is Billy Turner from Green Bay. It's possible 
that the the Packers who also need cap help can just ship him out and re-sign Dennis Kelly rather than you know flip it and keep Turner and let Dennis Kelly walk. The Packers, according to Mike Kawana, who I already talked to uh, earlier this year, they are signing and drafting an offensive lineman every single year. That is their GM's goal. They do it every single year. Sounds nice. Yeah. And they're so great they at could, it. <laughs> exactly. And they're amazing at it. So you see some people like, oh, let's have Daniel Falele go to the Packers at the end of the first round. Like, oh my God, like he would be amazing. It would develop him so well there. So yeah. Billy Turner, who can play right tackle, right guard, left guard, left tackle, whatever you need him to do. That's an option to keep an eye on just because there's some connection there. So those are my three guys. Yeah, uh, to know Kaposagnan or however you say it, I, that's an interesting one. Um, you know, obviously the the Chargers do have. He didn't play at the Saints last year, right? This was his first year with the Saints. Yeah, it was formerly with the Chiefs. Okay, I was going to say there's connection to Michael Will, like, but there isn't. Um, but yeah, I mean that kind of role that you're describing is what the Chargers potentially signed Kyler Fackrell for. Yeah, uh, and it didn't go so well. Um, Shout out to uh, Chase Bendel, friend of the podcast, uh, connected somehow to Kyler Fackrell, uh, you know, but uh, doesn't seem likely that Kyler Fackrell is going to be back is, is what I'm trying to say here. Um, and no real surprise there. But uh, like I've been saying, I think they do need, assuming that they bring back Uchenna and Wosu, you know, because that's just kind of where things are trending, in my opinion, they do need like a true number three edge rusher and you know they thought they were getting that with Kyra Fackrell maybe they think they have that in Chris Rumpf so that is potentially you know an area in which I think they can uh trade for or draft in the first round second round whatever um the idea of like trading for a big star I think is interesting you know we've seen other teams do this in their quote-unquote all-in season is is you know, you go out and you acquire like a true top tier player of some kind. And, you know, I don't think, you know, looking at these, these two Super Bowl teams, right. I don't think that there is like a Trey Hendrickson kind of player in this draft where you're getting a clear upgrade at one of your positions of need premium positions um, for the foreseeable future. I think Chandler Jones could be like a one-year upgrade, but he's approaching, you know, 34, 35 years old. I don't know how much of a long-term upgrade that would be. So, you know, going out and getting a Cleo Mac obviously means you're probably letting Uchenna and Wosu walk, but there is coaching connections there, which I think is, is obviously something to talk about. Um, getting back to Alex, my concern with Andre Dillard is that he didn't really play right tackle a whole lot. And I just, I haven't seen, you know, that kind of experience from him or flexibility to play both sides. Um, but I, I have confidence in Frank Smith and, and Sean Surratt that they would be able to kind of coach him into that. Um, and I certainly would prefer him over, you know, drafting a, a tack, one of these tackles, smaller school tackles in the first round. Yeah. I mean, I totally understand the hesitancy, right? You also right. like kind of haven't seen it. So it hasn't like, it's not like a proven product, but I, I think it's something that's worth taking like a fifth round pick shot on. If you're kind of just shooting in the dark on day three sure. by that point anyway, um, I'll throw in another name, uh, in the event that they do let Mike Williams walk or something happens there, Calvin Ridley is available. I don't think that's a crazy one. Obviously it kind of depends on where he is with the, um, you know, mental health issues and, and why he left the Falcons, uh, during the season, but it doesn't seem to really, you know, be necessarily, you know, like a bad 
criminal background, you know, like Tom Telesco would hesitate towards. Um, So, you know, uh, I I feel like that's kind of an interesting version of if they don't want to place the franchise tag on Mike Williams, um, Calvin Ridley's fifth year option is about $11 million. uh, So they can kind of see what he is this season. Uh, and then kind of go from there if they do want to extend him or if he does ball out with Justin Herbert, like I would expect him to if he was frankly here. Uh, I think that would be a great pairing. But it's just an idea I had depend, you know, due to the current uncertainty with Mike Williams. No, I think that's, you know, the, the Ridley thing. I'm, I'm, you know, Arthur Bank did reportedly say today that they want to keep him around, but. You know, I'd be pretty surprised at this point if Ridley is on the same team. And, you know, of, of course, as Romy is pointing out, you know, it is a mental health concern. That's why he kind of slipped away from the team. Maybe he's not super into it. Maybe he just needs a, a change of scenery. You don't really know. Um, the last thing that I was that I wanted to bring up today, I wish I would have known about this before I did my video, but uh, there's a lot of traction gaining around the league, apparently, about the Giants potentially trading James Bradbury, uh, the former corner that they signed to a big time contract. Um, he is only under contract for one more season. And so there's not a ton of leverage for the Giants in terms of trade acquisition, in terms of draft compensation. Uh, and the Giants would save $12 million by trading him before the draft. So that's something that I would be very interested in. Uh, you know, he has slot outside of flexibility, so you can kind of keep some options open there with him and Asante Samuel Jr. Uh, it is a short-term rental for sure. So that could kind of be a concern in terms of trading, you know, a third round pick, for example, to go out and get him. Uh, but I, like we were just saying about Xavier Howard, you know, this could be Xavier Howard light and not cost, you know, maybe a first round pick, probably a second round pick for Xavier Howard. Um, and he would only cost you $12 million as opposed to Xavier's $16 million. So uh, James Bradbury is somebody that I'd be really interested in. So, yeah, just a thing there. I think that he is his base salary is $13 million, but I actually did look up his cap hit, and it's like 21 for some yeah, reason. For James Bar- yeah, for James Bradbury. Yeah. The, the Giants would save 13 by trading. Him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, if they wanted to go get him, like that's a great kind of expiring deal. I think they are going to primarily be looking into that market for guys that are, you know, expiring if they do pursue a trade. Not that Tom Telesco has done too many of those, but that that feels like that would be the perfect fit for the Chargers and kind of an all-in year. Um, I, I'd be down for it. I mean, he's played great in New York. Um, it, it feels weird that that contract's already up because, yeah, it, yeah I, I, for some reason, I thought that was the last year of signing, but no, that was two years ago. Yeah, and they they voided his 2023 contract. like So they they did that before this season to you know save some money, I guess. Not to be super judgy, but... I mean, was he actually good? Like, was he good for the Giants? I'm only looking at stats, which is completely unfair. But like, <laughs> 729 yards given up, eight touchdowns. He's going to cost about 22 million dollars. You know, well, he wouldn't cost the Chargers 22. He cost the oh. he cost the Giants 22 to stick on the Giants. Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right, because well, you tr- you trade for him and you take on yeah. what's left after the dead money, right? Is yeah, that works. Uh, Telesco doesn't trade enough, so I need to dust off the book of <laughs> yeah. rules. Uh, yeah. I don't know how this works. 
Fair enough. Fair uh, enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is it ever a good sign when they're doing the Taysom Hill money laundering void year thing? I don't know. <laughs> that, that feels that feels tough. Yeah, I don't know. But that's a player that I think is, is definitely getting traded uh, before the draft. So, um, you know, we've been kind of talking about the Chargers taking a corner in the draft. I think, you know, ideally just in a general team building philosophy, you want to plug as many holes as you can ahead of the draft and then just be kind of able to take best players available. So um, trading for James Bradbury is definitely cheaper than trading for Xavier Howard. Um, and, you know, trading for Tano Kapasognan or however you say it is definitely cheaper than trading for uh, Khalil Mack and same with Samson Ebukam. So um, interesting names there all around. Uh, Tyler, real quick here. And then Alex, after that, if you had to pick like, two players that we have named in this exercise that you would be most in favor of, who would you choose? Uh, Grady Jarrett, obviously. And then I guess at that point, I'm probably out of money in draft picks. So <laughs> uh, Samson Ebukam, I guess then, because I'm, I'm, I mean, listen, I'm not, like, I'm not saying like you trade for both. I'm saying like, you know, just mm. like, Two players that you would be most interested in potentially trading for one or okay the other. then then Jarrett and then I would say actually Ridley because I think trading for Ridley it depends on what the cost is I think you can put him in a, a good scenario over here a little bit more sunshine I mean don't go live in Los Angeles because that'll make it worse but if you want to <laughs> hang out in Orange County you know I'll show you around uh we can do that Calvin um so yeah I, I go with him because yes you'd have to give up draft capital to get him but I'd take that $12 million hit over the 18 to $22 million hit potentially for more than one year for Mike Williams. I just think you could build a bit of a better roster that way. And, uh, you know, it's not the, it's not going to happen, but I think I'd prefer they go that route and have some money left over for other players like uh, Sebastian Joseph day or whatever they do. Yeah, I, I think Ridley is kind of up there for me just because of the uncertainty with Mike Williams. Obviously, if they franchise tag him, well, you know, that's kind of dead. Or you could do franchise tag and trade, but they're, I don't think they would do that if they franchise Mike Will at that point. Um, yeah, but I, I think out of the names mentioned here that are probably pretty realistic, I'd go with Dillard and Ebucom. Uh, I think Ebucom kind of would help them from a pass rusher standpoint. And then you have someone who can compete uh, for that right tackle job or kind of be a shoe in for right tackle, depending on what they do in the draft and depending what they do with, with uh, Storm Norton. Uh, so I, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the simplest way they can kind of try to address tackle, um, you know, without an investing heavy capital in, in say day one or early day two. But uh, yeah, no, I think all the names here were pretty good. And if they went star hunting for Khalil Mack or Xavier Howard, I think that'd be really fun too. It would be. I, I think in terms of star hunting, Grady Jarrett would be my number one choice. And I said that in my video. I just think he is the best at his position at this point in all of their careers. Granted, I you know seeing Khalil Mack next to Joey Bosa would be a <laughs> you know a truly like epic sort of thing. And I think you know he's, he is kind of declining, but even next to Robert Quinn, like all the double teams are going to Khalil Mack. Like you know if he's next to Joey Bosa, then he's not going to double team because you got to double team Joey Bosa. So. Uh, I, I think that would be interesting, but you know he is a little older, declining play. So I think Jarrett is the best player that we've mentioned so far. Um, and then I, I wish I would have looked at Samson Ebukam a little bit more. I think that makes a ton of sense. He's got connections to, uh, excuse my dog if you can hear him in the background. 
<laughs> but Samson Ebukam, I think, is somebody that would check a lot of boxes. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Niners did, in fact, trade him because they still have D Ford's contract and no one's trading for that contract. Um, you know, they have Arden Key, who's a free agent who played really well for them this year. And then obviously they have Nick Bosa. So um, I could definitely see them trading, being at least willing to trade Ebukam uh, back to his old coach in uh, Los Angeles. I'm really looking forward to one of these trades definitely happening. <laughs> hey, man, it's the off season. It's time for it's the time of possibilities and, and dreams and all that stuff. Um, all right. So before we get to our uh, conversation about the ESPN redraft, we do have an ad to get to from Underdog Sports, Underdog Fantasy Sports. I'm sure that you've seen their ads on TV or heard about them. And uh, we have. A big game promo from our friends at Underdog Fantasy this week, uh, where they are offering a special line in their pick'em lobby for this Sunday, which is Joe Burrow over under one passing yard. Yes, that's really one passing yard. So that's really free money for you guys. So please go check them out. If you sign up with the code CHARGED, that's C-H-A-R-G-E-D, Underdog will double your initial deposit up to $100 in bonus cash. So uh, I would highly encourage you, strongly encourage you to Use Underdog Fantasy for your site of choice to bet on this game's uh, or on this weekend's big game. Uh, and like I said, if you use the code CHARGED, they will match uh, or give you bon- they were double your initial deposit with up to $100 in bonus cash. Yeah, I mean, I was just on there today and there were so many different bets you could choose from. And you know, I went with football, of course, in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, yeah, you talked about that special bet where you can just you know, over under Joe Burrow, one passing yard. I took the under, no, I took the over <laughs> uh, on that one. And then I added, I added two more bets there. That's Stafford over 285 passing yards. And then Cooper cup over, I think like 20 and a half fantasy points. And I feel pretty good about that. So, I mean, they gave us a hundred dollars. I bet the hundred dollars, the output is $600. All I really have to do is get two of those, right? Because the Burrow one's a freebie and we get $500 and I'll keep it and uh, not give it to you guys. So anybody else that wants to be a degenerate gambler and, and go out there and make some money, go for it. At, le- at least go for it with the uh, with the freebie and then one other one you feel really confident about. Make a couple hundred bucks there and you're pretty good. Yeah, I think, you know, on his way to that one passing yard, Burrow will show a lot of <laughs> swagger and poise um, on his way there. And uh, he's the next Brady. So uh, I, I think that, that is, it's a safe, oh, Brady, Gretzky, he's been compared to Jordan, all of them. Uh, he, he's a safe bet for, for being that guy, but, uh, no, I think that's, that's a safe bet, uh, to get that one yard. I think I, I like Matt Stafford plus 283, uh, I, I, over 283 yards. Uh, I should say that that feels like kind of a, I think he's going to win. I think this is kind of the, his time to finally get a super bowl. So, uh, I, you know, he has Odell, he's got Cooper cup. So I, I think he's good for hitting over 283 yards. That, that would be a fun one to bet on. And uh, maybe, maybe if a certain trade happens tomorrow, I'll hit those uh, Sixers plus 1300 odds. Cause I'm a cracker. <laughs> yeah. Just going to do yourself for pain. Uh, like Alex is saying though, you know, underdogs a great resource for betting. We highly uh, recommend their site uh, just really quickly. If you did decide to use our code and go check out underdog fantasy sports and used Alex's bet, and bet the over or under on Cooper Cup 20.5 fantasy points and the Joe Burrow over one passing yard, uh, you could put down 100 bucks with a potential payout of $600. So 
uh, please go check them out. I think it's uh, definitely worthwhile. All right. That being said, uh, I saw this and I knew that we had to talk about it. This is <laughs> ESPN's redraft, um, which I, I think they do every single year using their various reporters uh, across the league where they go back and redraft the previous draft from each uh, each rookie class. So this is an interesting exercise. Excuse me as I hit my microphone. Um, this is an interesting exercise, and I thought that this was definitely something we had to talk about. So um, just going over it really quickly, of course, the previous top five that happened was Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, and Kyle Pitts. The top four uh, did remain unchanged, so it did go Lawrence, Wilson, Lance, or excuse me, top three. Um, and then they had Micah Parsons at four to the Atlanta Falcons. Jamar Chase sticks at five to the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, and then, unfortunately, our guy, Rashawn Slater, did go six overall to the Miami Dolphins in this exercise. Panay Sewell stuck at seven. Kyle Pitts at eight to the Carolina Panthers. Pat Sertan stuck at nine to the Denver Broncos. And then J.C. Horn went at 10. So, Alex, uh, initial thoughts from the top 10 redraft that ESPN did. Yeah, uh, for the top 10, I think it kind of makes sense. Uh, although, like, I wouldn't say Atlanta wouldn't take Kyle Pitts. Um, that, that, that's sort of one I disagree with. I mean, I, lo- I love Michael Parsons, and maybe they do that in retrospect. But, um, you know, yeah, I mean, Kyle Pitts had a pretty good year, too. He was at the Pro yeah. Bowl and finally finally caught his first American touchdown, uh, which, which I thought was fun. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it, it goes about as I would expect. And then, of course, there's the question of, you know, what did the Chargers do with uh, Slater not being on the board? Uh, but, you know, he fell right into their lap, as as he should have. Uh, and, you know, it leaves them an interesting decision at, at 13 at that point. And we'll get into what uh, Shelly Smith did there. Do you Do you really think that Zach Wilson would go to again? I don't know. Like, well, who would you? Because they they were dead set on taking a quarterback. So yeah, are you putting Justin Fields there, or are you putting? Well, Matt I mean, Jones I would there? have taken Fields or potentially yeah. Lance over Wilson. I, I just I'm surprised that they were like, "Yep, let's do it again," knowing what they knew. Like, yeah, I, I don't you. know, man. He kind of single handedly tanked my Elijah Moore there. Uh, Rashawn <laughs> Slater going to the Dolphins would be a, an incredible exercise in pro ready player safe floor player meets awful awful situation situation. (laughs) i mean they could they have done nothing but draft decent to good prospects at tackle guard you name it and made them awful now sean slater probably better than jackson as a prospect i would imagine i did not watch that class but yeah man i don't know how that would have panned out with Rashawn slater um and potentially even playing a right tackle maybe for the for the dolphins yeah i would assume he he played right i would assume he played right for them because you know two is blind side is right tackle yeah so i mean we'll see there jc horn going at 10 to the cowboys i don't know if i buy that knowing that he's blown out his acl there's a couple of picks in here where it's like the guy blew out his acl why are you mocking him (laughs) we'll get to one of those later yes we will with the chargers uh so yeah, it's fine. Like I get most of it. I probably wouldn't take Wilson second overall, but otherwise I mostly get all of this. Yeah, I think with the the quarterbacks at the top, I'm surprised that Wilson and Lance were not at least subbed out for one. Like, you know, because Lance barely played and and I get maybe, you know, that's the process, right? Like 
you know, you, you are redrafting that pick knowing that you have Jimmy G on the roster as opposed to not. Uh, and I should clarify that this redraft exercise uh, happened uh, with the caveat of no draft day trades. So anything that happened on draft day was discounted. So, you know, it's redrafting the order of the picks that happen heading into the weekend. Not, you know, for example, the Giants and Bears trade does not happen in this exercise. Um, but yeah, Slater going to the Dolphins, man. Uh, like he's definitely the best pro he would definitely be the best prospect that they would have drafted in this, you know, scenario in terms of the offensive lineman that they have. But I would have no faith that they would be able to develop him into a player that challenged for, you know, first team all pro left tackle this year. And frankly, I would assume that they would put him at guard at some point through the season because that's what they did with Austin Jackson. That's what they did with Liam Eichenberg. That's what they did with Robert Hunt. And they just keep on switching players' positions and, you know, have zero concept of continuity. So that would be uh, rather unfortunate. Um, all right. So let's move on, uh, of course, to where impacts the Chargers. So Jalen Waddle went number 11 to the Giants. Again, that trade did not happen in this scenario. And then the Eagles still pick Devontae Smith. So Alex is happy there. Uh, and then the Chargers here at number 13 without Rashawn Slater without Panesu on the board. Christian Darrison is on the board in this situation. Uh, Shelly Smith had them choosing Greg Newsom, the cornerback from uh, the Cleveland Browns, formerly uh, Northwestern. So instead of Slater, they get Newsom's or they get they get Slater's teammate from Northwestern in Greg Newsom. Tyler, thoughts on uh, this process by uh, Shelly Smith? Great job, Shelly Smith. This is a good one. I can understand them going with an offensive lineman. I'm curious, up until this point, are we also assuming then, if this is draft night, are we assuming that they assume that Brian Balaga is healthy and is going to be their right tackle? Yeah. Then then they do have a, well, no, they don't have a left tackle. Well, whatever. We'll get to that in the second round. <laughs> um, but like Greg Newsom being there, so Darasaw was not taken at this point. No, I knowing what you knew about him and the, the eventual injuries that he had um, that took him a lot longer to get onto the field. I get that. I think someone like a Koromo or Vera Tucker would be kind of interesting here. But I, I mean, Newsom was my CB three in this draft after Horn and Sertan. And so I think, you know, if they're looking for secondary help and at this point they did need secondary, there was just Davis, you know, and, and a bunch of, you know, Chris Harris juniors and Tavon Campbell's and whatever they were planning on doing. So, yeah, Greg Newsom here, a guy who can run and turn with anybody, uh, great at hips, very fluid. I, I like him here at 13. I think you have to eventually address offensive left tackle. Uh, they don't do that, <laughs> very <laughs> unfortunately. But yeah, well, um, I like Newsom here because I think that is one of the best players on the board at a position of need at the time. Yeah, you know, looking back, of course, in this redraft, you know, having, you know, the hindsight, right, that Greg Newsom did have his rookie season. I'm more than okay with this pick. Uh, you know, Newsom did end up six among rookies in reception percentage allowed, uh, minimum 20% targets. He was second in pass breakups with uh, nine, I believe. He didn't get into any interceptions, but he had a, a good amount of ball production. He was eighth in passer rating when targeted. Uh, similar run production to, you know, Asante Samuel Jr., so... You know, I think heading into draft night, we knew that they needed a corner. We knew that they needed an offensive tackle. In this scenario where there's no Sewell, there's no Slater, I'm okay with them taking the best corner on the board. Um, I could have seen them taking Eric Stokes in this in this scenario as well. I feel like Stokes and Newsom 
were pretty similar as prospects, pretty similar as rookies. Uh, Stokes did not have uh, as good of a season, in my opinion, but he stayed healthy, didn't have the injury questions. So I would be okay in this scenario if they would take in, you know, the best cornerback on the board. Um, if they wanted to stick with offensive linemen, you know, Christian Derrissaw, you know, with all the injury questions is there. Elijah Vera Tucker with the position fit. Maybe they can kind of coach him to be a left tackle like they did with Slater, although Slater was like a bona fide left tackle prospect. But really, to me, this pick would come down to the best corner, you know, maybe Elijah Vera Tucker, and then maybe one of the pass rushers. They eventually did take an edge rusher. Maybe this is an Odafe Owe pick. Maybe this is a Greg Rousseau pick. But I'm more than okay in this scenario, in this <laughs> imaginary scenario, ending up with Greg Newsom on the Chargers. Yeah, I would be fine with Greg Newsom too. Uh, I think this is an exercise that'd be fun to do with like trade backs and stuff. Because if you could like trade back and get more capital and then go get Darasaw, yeah. that would be kind of fun. Uh, and then that leaves you open for, you know, whatever position you kind of want to get in round two. Uh, which we'll talk about in a second <laughs> with what Shelly Smith did. Uh, but uh, no, I, I would be fine with Greg Newsome. You know, he was very high up on that list uh, of guys too. Uh, where where did Eric Stokes go in this redraft? I would assume he went to the Packers. To the Packers. No, Stokes, the- uh, Stokes ended up sticking with the Packers, I believe. Yeah. So he, at, he was at the, the same, at the same pick. Yeah. At 29. Uh, okay. All right. So yeah, no, then, uh, yeah, no, I, I think at that point they probably just trade back or they probably just take Greg Newsom because they need cornerback help. But, you know, that's a scenario where all the, all of our, like, top, top, like, dream guys were off the board. Then, you know, maybe you consider it. But, uh, no, I would have been fine with Greg Newsom. And their cornerback situation would have been better this year. Left tackle situation, probably a lot worse. <laughs> For sure. You know, losing an all-pro tackle would definitely make your offensive line worse. Um, so moving on, the uh, in this scenario, the Vikings stuck at 14. And their writer actually had them taking Justin Fields, which I think is uh, super interesting. Uh, Patriots writer had them sticking with Mac Jones. The Cardinals took Najee Harris, the running back. Uh, the Raiders writer actually made a really intelligent swap and swapped out <laughs> Elijah Vera Tucker for Alex Leatherwood, which would have been a huge success for them. Of course, in uh, the real draft that happened, Elijah Vera Tucker was not on the board. Um, the Dolphins in this scenario took Javon Holland, the safety, who they ended up taking originally in the second round. Uh, Washington swapped out Jamin Davis for Jer- Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. The Bears, instead of getting Justin Fields, take Creed Humphrey. Um, the Colts ended up taking Quiddy Pay and stuck with Quiddy Pay in this scenario. Uh, and then one of mine and Tyler's favorite draft players, Elijah Moore, went to the Tennessee Titans instead of Caleb Farley. Jalen Phillips to the New York Jets. Javante Williams to the Pittsburgh Steelers. So they took a running back regardless. Uh, Christian Barmore rounded out the top 25 to Jacksonville instead of Travis Etienne. Guys, any other stands out, standouts from uh, the top 25 here? Um, not necessarily. I do want to say that Alex Leatherwood was not even taken in either of the two rounds of this redraft. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't. <laughs> so. He was uh, not on the board. <laughs> Or he was off the board, I should say. Yeah. Oh, not good. Uh, the Steelers taking a running back again is pretty funny. I, got, I mean, Javante could have done better. I think he had a better rookie season. I think he also got to play in a better situation than Absolutely. with Ben Roethlisberger. So, 
you put Javante Williams in there. I think Najee Harris goes to the Broncos, let's say. I think, you know, well, not really, but if, if Najee Harris were on the Broncos, he'd probably have a better season than Javante. So them going running back again after knowing yeah. everything that they need. Right. I mean, I guess there wasn't a quarterback either, but yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah. Yeah, it would be very Steelers to just kind of, <laughs> you know, buck the trend of what everyone says and just take yeah. the running back. Um, no, I mean, not, not too much stuck out to me there. Um, I, I was kind of stunned to hear that Alex Leatherwood said that he didn't go in the top <laughs> 64 picks, Yeah, um, which, uh, you know, sounds like it was a reach. Um, but yes, yeah, uh, no so kidding. We'll, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah, that's kind of an unfortunate one for the Raiders. But no, I don't have too many other takeaways kind of played out how I would have expected the top 25 to play out. Yeah, obviously Creed Humphrey going to the Bears at 20. That would have been a really smart pick for them. Their offensive line is terrible, um, and he deserved to be a first-round player, in my opinion. Uh, so moving on, the uh, the Cleveland Browns in this scenario end up with Odafe Owe. The Ravens stick with uh, Rashad Bateman, uh, who they originally took. The Saints took Amon Ross St. Brown, who had the biggest rise in this uh, exercise. Eric Stokes, like I said earlier, stuck with the Packers. Greg Rousseau stuck with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens at 31 took Trayvon Merrig as opposed to Odafe Owe. And then Joe Tryon Shoinka uh, stuck with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, starting the second round, Pat Fryermuth went to Jacksonville. Trey Smith to the New York Jets. So they swap out Elijah Vera Tucker for Trey Smith, which I think you know you, you would take mm -hmm. that. Uh, Sam Cosme ended up going to the Falcons, Aziz Ojolari to the Dolphins, Landon Dickerson, originally a Philadelphia Eagle pick, stuck with the Philadelphia Eagles. Christian Derisoff fell all the way to 38 to the <laughs> Bengals in this scenario, which I think the Bengals fans would be very happy with that. Uh, and then Asante Samuel Jr. ended up with the Carolina Panthers at 39. So he was not on the board for the Chargers at 47. Uh, Pete Warner. The linebacker from Ohio State ended up with the Broncos as opposed to Richie Grant. Uh, sorry if I'm running through this really quickly, but uh, Ali McNeil to the Detroit Lions in the second round as opposed to the third round. So that writer must really like him. Uh, Quinn Miners to the New York Giants as opposed to Liam Eichenberg being picked by the Dolphins at 42. Elijah Mitchell, another big riser to the San Francisco 49ers who he ended up with uh, in the 43rd pick. Nick Bolton, Tyson Campbell, Ramondre Stevenson were the three picks before the Chargers. Uh, Bolton to the Cowboys, Tyson Campbell to the Jaguars, so he sticks there, just in a different draft slot. And then Ramondre Stevenson ends up as a Patriot, again, just in a different draft spot. So Chargers on the board at 47 here. Uh, Alex, any thoughts as I ran through that list of 20 picks really quickly? Yeah, congrats to Amon Ross St. Brown for having a great rookie year in Detroit. You get to play with Taysom Hill and uh, <laughs> all those guys, and Trevor Simeon and all the talent in New Orleans. Um, but no, I, I, it generally played out how I thought. I'm a little surprised Darisaw slipped that much just because yeah. I feel like there would be a team, even with his injury concerns, that prevented him you know, from, from playing early on, You know, just kind of taking the upside there. Um, but you know, I sort of do understand why he, he was there as he was. Um, no, but uh, other than that, I, I think it would play out like a pretty standard, you know, uh, picks after we did it. And, you know, there were a lot of high risers and high fallers and guys that were found out to be reaches, but no, it played out pretty standard. 
Yeah, Derisaw falling that far was a surprise for sure. Mm-hmm. Because even with the injury concerns, like he still ended up playing, I think, 11 games and had a good rookie season. You know, he was solid. So, you know, I'm surprised in this, you know, redraft with hindsight that he was the 38th pick and not even first round pick at all. Yeah, not definitely a surprise. I, I, I hate looking at this and seeing both Creed Humphrey go earlier than he did and then Trey yeah. Smith go earlier than he did. The draft order <laughs> and the, the mistakes that these teams made and also the gamble that Kansas City made with Trey Smith, but everyone basically let Kansas City get back into the AFC Championship by not yeah. taking Creed Humphrey. I think the Steelers should have taken Creed Humphrey over a running back. And maybe the Packers should have as well over Myers. I think they seem pretty set with that. And then, yeah, Trey Smith. The Chiefs being able to get those two guys who are on this list, you know, two top 34 picks that they got at 64 or whatever, 63 and 190, whatever. Yeah. It just let the Chiefs right back into it. And I, and I hate that it happened like that because the Chargers, I mean, the Chargers could have used one of these players, sure. Maybe not Humphrey at that center, obviously, but you know, whatever. It's a redraft. So that, that's exactly me the most. Yeah, absolutely. And then so Asante uh gets up eight spots, which I was a little surprised that he didn't get up a little higher as well, but uh still riding around in his uh draft slot. So uh Chargers at 47 <laughs> definitely need an offensive tackle, could use an edge rusher in this scenario, uh, a receiver. Literally anything else. Uh, <laughs> and Shelly Smith decided to give us uh, Caleb Farley uh, with the 47th overall pick. So I was blown away that this happened. Caleb Farley did not start a single game for the Tennessee Titans. And he was not even close to being the best rookie cornerback on his own team, which ended up being Elijah Molden, who would have been a fine pick here. I would have taken that. Uh, but Shelly Smith has the Chargers taking... Caleb Farley, who uh, logged 37 coverage snaps uh, in this redraft scenario. Uh, Alex, thoughts on uh, on that selection? Uh, I'm just Googling to confirm how many functional knees Caleb Farley has. <laughs> um, because <laughs> that's really my problem here. Is it a positive here. number? Like, um, it's like, a, it's, I think it's zero now. After <laughs> Is it more than zero? <laughs> I think it might be negative. Yeah, because then, yeah, well, no, it's it's still zero because it's two minus two. So <laughs> <laughs> he is at currently zero, and then he had the back injury. Like, I first okay, drafting two cornerbacks back to back is like I don't I don't know what they were what Shelly Smith was trying to do here. Like the, all the problems that left tackle, and uh, you know you could make an argument for drafting a receiver or drafting someone else. Like I, I don't I don't know what she was doing. No, no offense to her, but um, it, it feels like the Chargers kind of lost this redraft. Um, yes, I mean you know the one that kind of stuck out to me, even if you wanted to address the secondary instead of going for cornerback with a uh, questionable amount of knees uh could have gone nate hobbs here and had a cornerback yeah. and a safety like that that would have been a pretty good duo or do kind of what i said earlier and trade back for darisaw or trade back for a tackle and then go grab nate hobbs or something uh you know we sort of talked about uh trevon merrig uh in that kind of same sense for the Chargers potentially in in round two last year anyway uh so i i don't 
I yeah, I I was negative on Caleb Farley before the draft because of the injury rap sheet. Like I just don't yeah. see how someone looked at that and was like, Yeah, that's good. We're gonna take him <laughs> as our franchise player. And now you wanna be like in a redraft with everything we know now and how the season played out, yeah, I'll still take a chance on a guy with negative seventeen knees. Yeah, and that's she's like, Oh, you know, it's a good future pick. And yeah, Farley's super talented, but some of the guys on this list, like Kevin he Jenkins. doesn't have enough knees for the future. Yes, <laughs> what do you exactly. Mean right, right. So Tevin Jenkins would be great, assuming he would stay healthy. You know, even Michael Carter at that point, pair with Austin Eckler would be pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, Kadarius Tony goes to fifty-four. Tony in this offense with a screen or a couple of handoffs rather than a Jalen Guyton would have been pretty awesome. I think him going to the Chargers would have been fantastic. Dylan Radunes. You basically could have picked anybody that went after <laughs> Caleb Farley. And I'd be yeah. like, yeah, sure. Even if it's a quarterback like Trask, like, yeah, Trask went to 64. And I'd be like, okay, at least he'll get on the field, I think, more than Caleb Farley did this year. So <laughs> you know, I just, uh, I don't know why she would go with Caleb Farley. Yes, the talented player, but knowing that that player blew out their ACL for the third or fourth time, uh, I, I don't buy it. Sorry. Like Justin Herbert would have been playing with Belaga for three snaps and then it would have been Trey Pipkins and Storm Norton the entire rest of the way. Yeah. The, the thought of that is brutal. And, you know, the, uh, I think it was the next pick. Yeah. So two picks later was Rondell Moore from the receiver from Purdue. I would take that in a heartbeat over Caleb Farley. Um, you know, I mentioned, you know, Elijah Molden. I think in this scenario with the way that this panned out, like you have to have given the chargers a tackle. And so you mentioned Taven Jenkins, Dylan Radunes, Spencer Brown, who was the tackle from Northern Iowa last year, ended up starting 16 games for the Buffalo bills at both tackle spots. I think he had four starts at left tackle and the rest at right tackle. And he was legitimately good. I think, you know, that would be my pick in this situation, knowing what we know now that the chargers need an offensive tackle. I think you could even make an argument for Dan Moore, who was the Steelers' original third-round pick who started every game for them this year and was okay and at least flashed some signs that he could become that kind of player. So, I mean, of course, I'm the offensive line guy, and I, and I know that that's going to sound like this, but I think we everybody knew that you needed to get a corner and you needed to get a left tackle or at least a right tackle, theoretically, for you know Justin Herbert to build with. And instead, we got one really good corner and a corner who probably at this point is is not going to see the field very much. All right, let's do a little bit. Ignore what Shelly Smith did in the first round. And this is just with this 47th pick. Let's play a little jigsaw. Which one would be less bad? Uh, <laughs> would you rather have Alex Leatherwood at 47 or oh Carly at 47? I would rather have Alex Leatherwood because I think the charge. Well, okay. Hmm. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I think the Raiders did him a disservice <laughs> by having him switch different yes. sides and then go right to guard after four games. I would think, I would think that the Chargers would actually leave him at left tackle and yeah. let that work. And I think it would play out better. Eh? He would also see the field. If I give Caleb Farley one more functional knee, <laughs> you're going to need to barter for one and a half, Alex. One point two five. I one point three. One point two seven. No, I mean, uh, 
I, I would definitely have more faith in Alex Leatherwood being a charger than what happened in Las Vegas. Cause I mean, you, you switch a player after four games, like what do you expect is going to happen? Like, of course he's going to struggle. So, and he hadn't played guard in like four years. So I would have more faith in the chargers developing Alex Leatherwood than the Raiders for sure. And at this point at 47, as opposed to 17, like, you know, what I thought of Alex Leatherwood pre-draft, was or pre you know what happened right uh, you know was that he would be a fit for the chargers at 47 if he was there and if the chargers you know decided to go with a defensive playmaker or receiver at 13 so you know if i could go back you know and you know if i could go back six months and swap out alex leatherwood and uh rashawn slater for greg newsome and, and asante samuel jr like i think pre-draft notions i probably would take that but, you know, obviously knowing what we know now, I would much rather have Spencer Brown, like I said, or even Dan Moore at left tackle. So, um, you know, we mentioned the receivers, too. I think at that point, you know, the Chargers took a third round receiver swap out Rondell Moore. Um, side note, uh, Josh Palmer was the last rookie of this class to hit the minimum 20 percent target threshold. After him, there was like nobody else. So. Uh, just wanted to mention that because he did. I thought he had a good season. So um, after the Chargers, uh, the Raiders took Nate Cobbs, who they eventually took instead of uh, that pick being Aaron Banks to the Niners. Rondell Moore stuck with the Cardinals. Michael Carter went to the Dolphins. Elijah Molden went to Washington. Uh, Tevin Jenkins to the Bears at a different pick. So that still happened. Um, Kelvin Joseph to the Titans. He's another one I would rather have instead of Caleb Farley. Uh, Kadarius Toney to the Colts. Um, at pick 54, Dylan Redunes to the Steelers instead of Pat Fryermuth at 55, Paulson Adebo, another corner I would rather have instead of Caleb Farley, uh, at 56 to the Seahawks, Osa Odigazua to the Rams at 57, which I think is interesting. Um, the Chiefs ended up with Spencer Brown in this scenario, Cleveland ended up with Milton Williams at 59. At 60, the Saints took Davis Mills. So uh, Rogue mentioned the Steelers taking him earlier. You know, Davis Mills ends up going. Was he a third rounder or was he a fourth rounder? Mills is like a four. Uh, well, no, I'll no, tell no, you no, in no. about 30 third. seconds. <laughs> he was like the very beginning of the third, right? That's what I thought. Yeah. Oh, God, they did take he, him third. 67. He was, yeah, he was right after Kellen Mond. Yeah. Um, so Davis Mills goes 60 to the Saints. Ambry Thomas, the corner from Michigan, to the Bills at 61, as opposed to Boogie Basham. Josh Myers stuck at 62. Baron Browning at 63 instead of Creed Humphrey. So the Chiefs, instead of getting Bolton, get Baron. And then Steven died. No, which I think is is kind of dumb. So the the Buccaneers writer just must have thought, you know what? I'm not going to change anything. I don't really care. <laughs> um, <laughs> so them choosing Trask instead of literally anybody else, I, I think, is, was an interesting one that stood out to me. Well, I mean, I guess the defense for Trask is if you know Brady would retire now, then you have someone. I don't know if there were like, were there a lot of better quarterbacks behind Trask? I mean, I don't think any of them like played. Like Kellen Mond. Well, oh, I guess Mon doesn't go in this redraft, but like, I mean, yeah. I feel like you're kind of splitting hairs there anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that kind of still works for them. 
but I don't know if they really believe in Trask at this point. Who knows who their starting quarterback is going to be? Yeah, I don't think they do because it sounds like they are trying to get a veteran, which like, makes sense. Like Bruce Arians is like approaching 70 years old. I can't imagine he wants to keep coaching for that long. He already retired once. So they have a win now roster. And I can't imagine that. I feel like they would start playing Gabbert this year over Kyle Trask. Famous Jameis is back, baby. <laughs> Tyler, any standouts from the last uh, 15 picks? Uh, not in particular. They're just all players that I would take over Caleb Farley. <laughs> I, I I was like literally could not believe what I was reading when I saw <laughs> Caleb Farley being that pick. Like it literally takes two seconds to look and see how many snaps he played and realize yeah. that that would be a shitty pick. Well, she re- she literally wrote, no, they don't get their left tackle of the future in this scenario. It's like, dude, stop writing at that point and change your pick. Like, why you- <laughs> what? Why do we want Farley then? Yeah. Don't get their left knee of the future either. I mean, <laughs> Alex is focused on uh, Caleb Farley's knees today. Um, so, yeah. But no, in- an interesting exercise. I-, I would be curious to do my own in, in this yeah uh, redraft uh, at some point and not on the show uh, just for fun um but you know looking where slater ended up and and asante Samuel jr ended up was was definitely interesting um any other uh final thoughts here guys before we head out for the evening my final thought is that i just want to say that elijah moore is still excellent and i'm glad he went in the first round in this scenario uh, i got to watch him run over kair elam uh, while he was at Florida, uh, Elijah Moore is very, very talented. Uh, so I'm glad he went in the first round. I feel vindicated having him as my wide receiver <laughs> four and also probably would have been wide receiver one in this draft. Yeah. Yeah. Elijah Moore was fun, man. He was. Yeah, no, uh, I, this redraft exercise was fun. If you go on Patreon, we will have a full seven round redraft oh. <laughs> that we will do ourselves. <laughs> That'll take 50 hours. No, we're not going to do that, but uh would would be fun if we did uh but yeah no go go to patreon where if you go there you can go check out all those uh film breakdowns that tie or no the senior bowl film that tyler has been ferociously drinking coffee to and posting with his uh lasting breaths so uh yeah go, <laughs> he's still uploading those that senior bowl film so go over to patreon check that out and they'll also be on youtube later for not patreon people yeah absolutely appreciate all the support on patreon uh, you know, the senior bowl film is really such a valuable uh, resource for draft evaluation. So definitely uh, encourage you to check that out. The link there will be in the description of this video. As always, we really appreciate all the positive feedback and, and some of the negative feedback is fine too, I guess every once in a while. Uh, but please leave us a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice. Subscribe to uh, our channel. Uh, we will not be doing a episode this weekend. It is Super Bowl weekend, so we want everybody to kind of enjoy that. Um, and like I said earlier, like we said earlier, uh, go use Underdog Fantasy Sports for uh, your site of choice to bet this weekend. Uh, you can get some free money with our code. So that's going to do it for us today, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you guys next time. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. 
Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.